So I want to share a message. This was a message that I was going to preach last Christmas Eve. And I um, kind of put it away in my file. And um, I think you'll be blessed tonight. It's called The Manger to the Cross. And um, when you look at, when you look at, you know, the Christmas story, and you look at this entire journey, and this journey in the life of Jesus, this, this epic of Jesus. And it really is an, an eternal, it's an eternal journey from his throne in heaven to a manger in Bethlehem and then to a cross. And you can never separate that, that manger in Bethlehem. There was a shadow of a cross that was basically upon it. You can't separate the birth of Jesus from where his destiny, okay, would later would later bring him. So I'm going to give you a couple of different comparisons from again from the manger to the cross. The first, the first is from birth to death. So the prophecy given by Isaiah, which was given 700 years, written in the book of Isaiah, carefully recorded, again, by the Jewish people and the scribes. For us, uh, unto us a child is born. The prophecy that, again, this Messiah, this Savior, would be born a child. Secondly, unto us a son is given, that he would be a male child. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And he will be called Wonderful Counsel, a Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That, that prophecy speaks about what we call incarnation. I taught on it on Sunday. That the Bible teaches that God became incarnate in Jesus Christ. He took on flesh and blood. It goes on, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So when you think of a you think of a birth and births are exciting. Right? Births are joyful, right? A new child, right, entering the world. If you're up at the hospital, for the most part hospitals deal with sickness, right? They deal with a lot of pain, but when a child is born, the hospitals will play, right, the tune, and it will ring out throughout the hospital, and it, bring, it, brings, it brings joy to people. But it, it, births bring joy, you know, births bring opportunity, a new child entering the world, this precious little child created, right, with enormous potential, and then they would enter into this life, this uh, adventure, Life that should be celebrated. Something, again, that is, that is truly wonderful. And uh, again, you see here the, the, most, the most wonderful birth of any birth that has ever occurred in history. That the Almighty God entered into this world to come close to us, to relate to us, and again, was incarnate through the birth, okay, of the Virgin. Then you move on, John 19, 30, 33 and a half years later, right? We were all born to live. Jesus was born to die. 
And uh, again, the, the prophecies cast this shadow. He came to die. And you see in John 19, 30, 33 and a half years later after his birth, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished on the cross. It is finished. Those three, the very three magical words. He finished his mission, which was to come to die for our sins. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. I think many times Jesus is portrayed as a victim that people came to take his life. He gave his life. He said, I lay down my life freely. Nobody takes it from me. And he handed himself over to evil people. But he handed himself over. So again, you you have a birth and a death. Then you have the second thing in comparison, a star and an eclipse. So we know the star of Bethlehem, right over our manger right here in the church, you have that that star, I mean the angel at the center of it. Matthew chapter 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So there's a a lot of speculation, okay, over the course of the last 2,000 years as to what the star of Bethlehem actually was. A number of of, um, astronomical scientists have said that um, in the 4th century B.C., Josephus Flavius, the historian, the Jewish historian, also said this, uh, that there was an eclipse that occurred, as I was sharing on Wednesday night here, Jesus wasn't born in 4 B.C. There is no way he was born in 4 B.C., and it was much more likely 2 B.C. Others, uh, that it was a supernova, Frank uh, Tipler, uh, Mark um, Kinder, they are, again, astronomers, that there was a supernova in the time, in the second century, that um, had basically been seen in the uh, Middle East, and some people say it was that. Uh, Others that it was just simply a a sign, a supernatural sign, a miracle that God did with the birth of his son. And in the scriptures, sometimes stars are a reference to angels. So we don't don't quite understand, we don't know, know what this star was. It guided, though, the magi, these wise men, these philosophers, uh, likely followers of Zoroaster, to uh, Bethlehem where then they came and they worshipped Jesus. But again, right, you have a star. At his death, you have darkness. At his death, you have an eclipse. Matthew chapter 20, uh, 27, 47. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. When Jesus was on the cross from 12 o'clock noon until 3 o'clock, there was this eclipse, this darkness that happened. Okay, and we, I, I use the term eclipse. We don't even know if it was eclipse. Something, again, supernatural. And Jesus cried out from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there's a separation. Again, it's difficult to understand, but there was some type of separation between Jesus and, again, his Father in his humanity. Again, him being God, this is hard to understand. Theologians have a really difficult time with this. But there is, again, this this separation that occurs. And when that is occurring, again, he cries out, you know, why have you forsaken me, my father? And 
there's suddenly again this darkness, almost as though God could not look down upon his son. The father could not look upon his son. It says in the scriptures that he became sin. He took all our sins upon himself. And it says he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. But again, you see here from a star to an eclipse. The, th the third, wise men to fools. And uh, again, we see that the, the wise men came, these, these magi. They're, they're philosophers from Persia uh, today, um, Iran. And they, traveled about, they traveled about 600 miles okay, to come in seeking the Messiah. There, there are a lot of things and a lot of things in the writings of, of history and the philosophers uh, in the writings of Daniel, who was in Babylon that was later conquered by, you know, the Persians, later conquered by the Greeks, and in the time of uh, Jesus, the Romans. But they were led. They were led by, I believe, the Spirit of God, but they were led also by the discoveries that they had come across, and they came. They were truth seekers, seekers of truth. These, these learned men, these philosophers. And, um, you know, you, you'll find... Throughout history, you find the simple in the church, and then you also find the wise. At the manger, you find the simple shepherds, and then you find the wise magi. And the simple, simple are people, they're people that know that they don't know. And when you come to the place where you know that you don't know, there's always more to know. And the, the wiser people, they know that they know, but again, in their knowledge of knowing, they know there's still a whole lot more to know. So you, you have here these, these wise men who come, you know, I'll give you a, a study, a reader, uh, some names, Thomas Aquinas, uh, Blaise Pascal, right? Duan Scotus, Duan Scotus, the, the, the unknown philosopher, theologian, one of the most brilliant men I think who ever walked the earth, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, Galileo, Copernicus, were all truth seekers. Isaac Newton, some of these are the most brilliant minds in the history of humanity. And um, again, like the wise men, they seek him. And they seek truth. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. I want you just to notice that. The word is young child in the uh, Greek. That is paidon. Um, when Jesus was born and placed in the manger, he was a brephos. The picture here, again, that I was, just, I was just showing you, Jesus was no longer an infant. And uh, the whole Christmas story, he wasn't in the manger. They weren't in a stable. They had now found an apartment <laughs> in Bethlehem. And it's likely somewhere, it, it, he's, he's likely a year or so old at this point when the wise men get there. And um, so when they saw the star, they rejoiced in exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw again the young child, the Pedon, with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him and when they had opened their treasures they presented gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. But you see, again, you see here the wise. At the cross you see fools. And these people were religious fools. They were religious leaders, power-hungry people. And again, the, you know, the great... 
the great travesty, the great scandal of Christianity through the centuries has been people who come into power in the church and abuse their power and abuse people and manipulate people, con people, sometimes kill people. And um, I was an atheist, and that was one of my arguments against religion, and it still is. In fact, I discovered far more as a Christian about, again, the hypocrisy. But they were, they, they were hypocrites. Jesus was in constant conflict with them. The, the entire four Gospels, and we, you study with me here, you know this, the conflict that Jesus had were not with the people who admitted that they were sinners and needed a savior. The conflict was in the religious people, the prideful people, the arrogant, who would not acknowledge that they were sinners and had basically need of nothing. When he was on the cross, and these are the religious leaders, <laughs> they said, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said he saved others, himself he cannot save. And it's for this very reason that he chose not to save himself to save us. They didn't get it. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. And it was for the very fact that he was the king of Israel that he would not come down from the cross. And then he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And again, the reason he stayed on the cross was because he is the Son of God. But again, death, right? In his death, you see these fools and their hearts being revealed. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Before I became a Christian, I was one of those people. I just thought this was all foolishness. And my, my wife will tell you that we were sitting in a church, which has to be, what, 45 years ago, in Creskill. She had brought me to church. Okay, wasn't a church, wasn't a church guy, I was an atheist. And she brought me to church. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, these people, I mean, I just, you I, I, never, I, I, you do what you want. I didn't care what you do. I didn't, I didn't care whatever religion you choose, whatever you believe, you're an agnostic, you're an atheist. Live and let live. But I'm sitting there and saying, this is just all foolishness to me. This birth of, you know, of this uh, baby that they believe is God. I just sat there and I said, it's, you know, it, it's all foolishness. It's no longer foolishness. For 40 years it has not been foolishness. But notice, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. But you see again, you see here the wise and you see the fools. The fourth is from the house of bread to the place of the skull. So when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, it tells us that he was born in Bethlehem. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Bethlehem, okay, if you little Hebrew, bet, okay, means house, okay? And then what you have is lehem means bread, Bethlehem is the house of bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So from, from 
Bethlehem, the house of bread, to right the end, Matthew chapter 27, 33, his crucifixion, Golgotha, which is called the place of the skull. And Golgotha is the place of his death. And we go to Israel and I take you to um, the place of the skull. And if you look closely, you can see that there's a, a face in the side of the, the mountain, which again, this is 2,000 years later with erosion. You can imagine what it must have looked like in, you know, in the first century. But again, from the house of bread to the place of the skull. Uh, the fifth, from swaddling clothes to a scarlet robe. It tells us that, again, he was wrapped, right, in swaddling clothes. My daughter calls that a babushka. <laughs> he wrapped the little babies in, in, in a babushka. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As I shared with you this past Sunday, the Passover lambs, the precious little lambs that were born right before the Passover would be taken to this specific, it was a cave that was used as a stable in Bethlehem, and they would be wrapped in swaddling clothes and they would be placed in a manger before they would be led to Jerusalem where they would be sacrificed. But from swaddling clothes, right, to a scarlet robe. A robe that was worn by the, the Roman leaders, by the centurions, and they placed the scarlet robe upon him as a robe of mockery, mocking him as a king. Matthew chapter 27, verse 29, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe upon him. The sixth is flanked by his parents to flank by two thieves. When he was born, right, he's flanked by Mary, his mother, and Joseph, his stepfather. It tells us in Luke chapter 2.16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Mary, right, the highly favored one, the Lord is with thee, blessed are you amongst women. She's a woman of great privilege, of great honor. And then Joseph, right, faithful Joseph. Joseph was this, right, his stepfather. He's this faithful man. This, you know, we, we talk about men and their families. They need to be their protectors of their family. They need to be providers of their families. They need to be the priest of their family, the prophet of their family. And that's what Joseph was, what he was to Mary and, 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 to, and to Jesus. And that would be later on to other children. So you see, again, you see here, Jesus is flanked by his faithful mother and father on the cross. He's flanked by two thieves, by two robbers. Matthew chapter 27, 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. And what you have, what you have in the two thieves, I'll show you this, you have a picture of humanity. Of, of all of humanity. You know, there's... Um, I don't know if you ever listen or you read Jordan Peterson. I encourage you to read Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is one of the most prolific thinkers in the world right now. I think he's one of the smartest men on earth. And um, through entire life, this, this brilliant man, he's a, a, a psychiatrist. And uh, he kind of has become the psychiatrist to the world. And some psychiatry can be a little crazy. I'm just, I, I believe he's, he's just so sound. And um, Jordan has come to believe in Jesus you know, at this time in, in his life. Long journey. Long journey. Long intellectual journey. But 
something that I, I, I've loved as I've listened to Jordan Peterson is as he began to explore the Bible, he began to see that you can find yourself in every story of the Bible. And I've always, I've always known that. You know, through the you know the years. I mean, I discovered it. I discovered it after you know becoming a Christian. I began to find myself in every story. I would sometimes not in a good light. Sometimes not. <laughs> it wasn't flattering to find myself in certain stories, but extremely revealing and challenging to change and to grow and to be different. And in the story of of the cross, again, you can find yourself. And you're there tonight. And it's, it's, it's just this, these two types of people. But yet they're the same. They're both sinners. They're both sinners. One, though, is a repentive sinner. He admits that he's a sinner. He needs help. <laughs> he needs grace. He needs mercy. The other is an unrepented sinner. He feels he needs no grace. He feels he needs no mercy. He feels he needs no Savior. And again, what you'll see there, again, you see a, a picture of humanity there. We're all there on the cross. I'll, I'll tell you this. I had an uncle who was a, um, a mobster in New York, a mafioso. And if you know anything about the mafia, he was a made man. And um, what happened was he got himself into some trouble. <laughs> These guys got very greedy. You know, it was you know, doing gambling and numbers, and, uh, but they got very greedy, and they started bringing heroin into the cities. And um, he got nabbed. Ended up doing 12 years in a chain gang, a chain gang down in Georgia. And um, if you know anything about the mafiosos, you see the Godfather, he would baptize children in the Catholic Church. The people from the community, they, they, they worshipped these guys. And they would bring him their babies and he would, he would baptize them. Well, after he got nabbed for the drugs, the Catholic Church wanted nothing to do with him. It was a good thing. And when he died, nobody would do his funeral. So I did his funeral. But I thought it was a great opportunity because I was standing, okay, in a funeral parlor. There were about 200 <laughs> mobsters in the funeral parlor and another 100 waiting outside listening in. And I basically talked to them about the two thieves on the cross. And I said, every one of you, okay, is either on Jesus' left or Jesus' right. But you're all there because we're all there, including myself. We're all sinners. And either you're repentive, realizing that you are a sinner and you need a savior, or you're unrepented and feel that you don't need a savior, feeling that you have no sins. And um, my cousin came up to me after preaching that message. I won't tell you what he said to me in, um, in, in Bronx slang, but he said to me, you have guts standing before all these people in sin. What are they going to do, shoot me? What, are they going to shoot me? They're going to shoot the preacher who came to do his uncle's funeral. But... Um, that is, that is the picture, right? Two people. You have the repentive sinner and the unrepentive sinner. The seventh is, again, from the manger to a cross. We make our mangers out of wood. There was no wood to make mangers out of. The mangers were hewn out of stone. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 7 again. So she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's a feeding trowel, a, a feeding bowl for the sheep. And that became Jesus' bed. But from the manger to a cross is this horrible, horrible device. Probably, I think, worse than any device of torture that has ever been created. Now you understand that the, the, the horror of the cross is it was essentially death by suffocation. Most people think, oh, they pierced you know, the, the, the person's hands and feet and they would lead to death. That's not how they died. They died by suffocation. And what they would do is they would put this piece of wood, and you can see, under their feet, which would basically not do nothing more than prolong their death. So the person could push themselves up to breathe, and then they'd lower themselves down. If, the, if that piece of wood was not there, they would, just, they would suffocate, and it wouldn't have been death. Some people, some people hung on the cross for days. Some people, three, four days, because it's a terrible thing. The vultures would come and, and feed on them while they were still, still alive. And um, in fact, Andrew, Peter's brother, in the church history says, in Turkey he was crucified. He hung on the cross for four days before he died. But it is just this, this horrible torture device. But again, from the manger to the cross, and they nailed him to the cross, and they gambled to see how they should divide Jesus' clothes. The eighth one, assigned to draw shepherds and assigned to draw all mankind. So the shepherds were drawn, okay, to go and find the babe in swaddling clothes, it tells us that again in Luke chapter 2, 10 through 12. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a sign. A sign for the shepherds. A sign for all mankind, the cross. Hebrews chapter 7.27, he died once for all when he offered up himself for all. So Jesus wasn't born to rescue you. He died to rescue you. Jesus was born to be with you to be with you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.